This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geeks, show number 279, released on September 22nd, 2016. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all the favorite tech gadgets. News reviews, product updates, and conversation, all for the average guy. I'm your host, Jim Carlson, broadcasting live. Well, not again this week, sorry. We are out again this week. Uh, we have the recordings coming back in. A couple more great ones for you coming in from Heartland Developer Conference here in Omaha in 2016. Two interviews, about an hour's worth. Uh, we'll post that live, although by the time you get this, it'll be the weekend, and you'll be just catching the regular feed. We'll be back live here coming up. Uh, one more week off, and then we'll be coming back in with live interviews. We appreciate you continuing to listen to the feed on the downloaded version as well. Of course, we post this with world-class show notes out at theaverageguy.tv. Don't forget, we have a new mobile app, or we have a mobile app, a newly renewed mobile app probably, over at homegadgetgeeks.com. If you want to get the best way to listen to this when we are back live again, head over to homegadgetgeeks.com, download our free Spreaker app, both Android and iPhone available for you. Again, available for you at homegadgetgeeks.com. Don't forget that Home Gadget Geeks is a part of the Geeks Network. Check out the link to this podcast in a brand new one. Dave McCabe, uh, we just came back from the Home Server Show meetup, and Dave McCabe announced that we would be shutting down the Home Server Show. And so episode 306 is the last one of those. He has a brand new podcast out called Reset uh, that's available for you. So head out to uh, head out to uh, Dave. I think it's McCabe.io. That's what it is. No, Dave, but just McCabe.io and, uh, or search for Reset in, uh, in iTunes or the Google Play Store. And, of course, that's available on the Geeks Network as well. You head out to thegeeksnetwork.com. Don't forget we have a Patreon link over at theaverageguy.tv if you're interested in supporting the show. We did remove the sticker one. Those are gone now with, um, with the meetup here and gone. And so we come up with something new. But if you want to support the show, head over to theaverageguy.tv slash support or head over there and you see the Patreon link uh, on the right-hand side of it. Just a, uh, just a reminder, of course, theaverageguy.tv, both web hosting and platform hosting provided by Maple Grove Partners. Get secure, reliable, high-speed hosting from people you know and trust. For more information, visit maplegrovepartners.com. In a second week in a row, we are broadcasting live, or at least I'm putting this announcement up front, out in Grafton, West Virginia. So if you're out in Grafton and you're listening on WLMN Radio, I'd love to have you let us know you're doing that. Send me an email, jim at theaverageguy.tv, or tweet if you want to do that at Jay Collison. We'll get you there as well. And we'd love to hear from you. Don't forget, again, don't forget that those mobile apps available for you. Um, and we want to thank LastPass for their sponsorship of those mobile apps. If you haven't gotten them yet, head out to homegadgetgeeks.com. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, we appreciate you listening. I will not do anything at the end. So when that last interview is over, it will be done. And we thank you for listening uh, this week. We'll see you back here in two more weeks. See ya. Jim Collison, uh, Heartland Developer Conference 2016. We're back uh, for the final interview of the day here. I'm here with Jeff Bertoft. No, Bertoft. Bertoft. Yeah, close. Thank you. Very close. Uh, thanks for helping. Uh, Microsoft. You're a Microsoft employee here. I am. Yes. Uh, here at the conference. Why? Why would? Why are you here at Heartland Developer Conference? So, Jeff? the last few years, we've sent some of our Redmond employees out to do talks to this conference, and we've had really great responses from it. Yeah, It's just, this is an audience that it's we don't really reach 
through that many other channels. Yeah, good. So it's hopefully great for them to have us come and talk about what we're doing, how we see things. And at the same time, it's benefit for us to be able to share insight and hopefully get the developers excited about what's going on at Microsoft. Yeah, that's so great. Here last, that. last three years, uh, David Washington came from mm -hmm. Minneapolis. Last year, I'm trying to remember who was here, but I interviewed. Shen Chandra. Yeah, yes. yeah and actually, uh, that was really helpful because he took care of me when I went for the summit. He got me into Channel 9 Studios. Good. Which was Good. amazing, yep. by the way. Great. I mean, I... I learned a lot about podcasting the way you guys do it on yeah. campus at Microsoft. So cool stuff. very cool stuff. And so that was great. And so, and then good to have you here this year, by Thank the way, you. I think we appreciate the city of Omaha as well as the conference appreciates Microsoft having enough of an interest to send folks here to be able to do it. And that's important to us as well. What's your role at Microsoft? Okay. So I'm a program manager at Microsoft and that's kind of a wide term that we use for, uh, you know, developers who kind of run things. So, um, I am a web developer and I look after web apps. I'm in a group that's called Partner App Experience inside the Windows team. And we're kind of the bridge in between developers and partners in the engineering team. So um, many times we're taking what the engineering team is doing and we're kind of dog fooding it, you know, trying it out ourselves and then uh, figuring out what's going to work for developers. And uh, then we take it out to the developers and work with them and get feedback from them about what they like, what they don't like, um, where they need help, that type of thing. And then bring that back to engineering to help hopefully make the development cycle go smoother and faster. Yeah. And how is that different or is it different from Universal, the Universal App Development Platform that's going on? So Universal App Development, um, UWP, so we call mm -hmm. it. That's actually, with Windows 10, our brand new, we finally got there type of approach where you're developing one app that runs across all of the different devices in the Windows family. So that's really where, uh, you know, we, we work the most with developers because that's where we're seeing the excitement. Mm -hmm. uh, when you can write for Windows Phone, uh, there are going to be folks out there who are excited about it. I count myself among <laughs> them. But when you're writing for Windows Phone and then it also works on PC and then it also works on Xbox and it also works on HoloLens, now you're talking about something that's pretty darn exciting. Yeah. And so that's where the we get uh, the most developer interest. So absolutely, that's that's where we focus on most of our time. Yeah, in that on on UWP. UWP. Yeah, yeah. In that and how's the state? Where? How do you feel about the state of where apps? I mean, we've really moved to a mobile world, and so Android and iPhone are yeah. dominating. By the way, Microsoft's doing a great job of developing for those platforms as well. Yep. But on the Windows side, how do you feel about the progress we're making now? There's a shift. It feels like there's a shift yeah. away from apps. But can you respond to that a little bit? Well. First of all, you mentioned that how we do a lot of development for other platforms, and that's actually part of where we see our role as a company is helping developers write for devices. Sometimes they're not our devices. Many times they're not our devices. So a lot of times we're looking at ways that you can write not just for Windows, but like with Xamarin, which we, we recently acquired, uh, being able to write for iOS, Android, and Windows at the same time, which then makes that Windows um, even more attractive to developers. 
Um, so as far as progress with apps, we're we're seeing really great response to what we've done in Windows 10, where we have that combined platform, that combined user base. And so we're seeing companies who have never brought apps to the Windows Store before now um, submitting those apps. I know uh, one of my favorite, Pandora, which recently came onto the platform, uh, is really intrigued by some of the uh, development methods that we have in place in Windows 10, where you can build an app with web technologies in their case and have it be an app that's going to work across all those platforms. So now we have companies like that who are coming to Windows 10 that were never on the Windows Store before that. And that's, that's um, excitement is encouraging. We know we still have a long way to go, um, but that's kind of one of the things that I hope to uh, inspire in developers, some excitement about what can be done with the, the, the apps themselves and, yeah. you know. You know, it's interesting. I installed a PC in the kitchen. So we okay. used a little kangaroo yeah. PC, put it on a 23-inch Dell monitor. Yeah. Uh, that has been, I have used more apps on that PC than I ever have on my desktop, you know, Windows yeah. 10 environment. I, I've been in, so it was an insider. It's touch screen, 23-inch touch screen. Yeah. Touch screen. See, that's that's one of the things like, you know, before the, we, we started here, Jim, we were talking about the Surface and it's those type of devices that developers are getting really excited about because yeah. they're they're differentiated there's something different and um having a uh, you know device with a touch screen and then introducing thing like pen and inking mm -hmm. that um we've recently introduced with our uh, anniversary update those type of things that are getting developers excited and actually getting consumers excited as well yeah well the Use case shift yeah. when I moved it into the kitchen and no longer had a keyboard or a mouse. In fact, my wife just wanted to plug a mouse in. We have a little counter next to the wall where it's mounted. Yeah. So it's, man, it's mounted um, eye level on the wall in the kitchen. And it's meant for weather, recipes, hey, Cortana. A perfect scenario for apps. Yeah, right, right, right on. No, it's, and it's been, and it's forced me into the store. I mean, I'm, I'm a Windows Insider MVP. Yeah. I have not been in the store very much on the desktop. Yeah. Move that thing into a, you know, a big ass tablet, so to speak, which mm -hmm. is what that thing is. I'm mounted on the wall. And it's been different and it's been interesting. It's really taught me some things about the apps and what's available out there. Yeah. I'm not doing my banking on it. So I'm not worried about the <laughs> banking apps, uh, uh, so to speak. But it has, it's got me more into the app infrastructure. Are you seeing some of that same telemetry as far as folks' usage and, how it's being used and some of those things as well. So I, I'll be frank, I don't have the numbers yeah. in the tip of my mind as yeah. far as you know what the big drivers are for for apps. Um, but I, I do know that those experiences that um, are differentiated are definitely drivers. Mm. So you know, I mean, you mentioned you're you know in the kitchen with the touch screen, not having a keyboard. Well. I, those same type of scenarios start to appear when you're talking about things like an Xbox or a HoloLens, where typing in a URL is really painful. And so you're actually looking for an app to handle those scenarios that has really easy, um, you know, navigation fitting for that platform. Uh, so, you know, those are those scenarios are definitely some of the ones that are driving app, app adoption. Yeah, yeah, it just added a whole, now I want to use Cortana more. 
yeah. in there because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have to bring the keyboard up. And I do. Yep. I still bring that keyboard up. And by the way, on a 23-inch monitor, that keyboard is really useful. Yeah. Down there. I yeah. mean, it, you can yeah. you can do this if you want to. And so pretty cool. When we think, so it's a little bit of consumer. Mm -hmm. When we think about the enterprise space, certainly here at the Heartland Developer Conference, yes. we're talking to enterprise folks. Yep. And so as we see t Windows 10 in the enterprise, we used to have enterprises writing all kinds of their own apps. Yes. That doesn't seem, in my world, that doesn't seem to be happening, or is it? And is that even a concern anymore? Or what? what's happening in this conference that you want to address when it yeah. comes from a development standpoint? So one of the things that we want to make sure is that Windows 10 doesn't leave behind some of our legacy users and maybe legacy is the right word maybe it's a faithful users and enterprise is definitely one of those scenarios so um we've heard criticism criticism in the past that we've tried shifted too much to uwps forgot about desktop apps um so that's one of the things that we wanted to make sure with windows 10 that desktop apps were a first class experience and you know, working with the UI to make sure that a desktop app will work with a touch screen as well as work really well with the traditional scenario. And enterprise is a big driver for that because we know that there's a lot of apps out there. One of the other things that we know a lot about is enterprises use the web quite a bit to do business. You know, they'll have their you know backend systems, web portals, and all those type of things. And the browser is the uh, mechanism that they utilize to uh, do business. So uh, that's one of the things that we've really focused on mm. in Windows 10 and continue to focus on is bringing web apps and apps together. So that if you have that web app that you used to use in the browser, you can now bring that in and make it a store app, which means that in the enterprise, you can manage it the same way that you would manage a store app. It also gives you access to some of the APIs that are new in Windows 10. So let's say you have a, um, a web app, but you wanna use the live tile. Well, when you're a, a, a web app in the store, we call them hosted web apps. When you're in that environment, you have actually have access to all of those APIs, the, all the WinRT APIs, so you can create a live tile. You can do a push notification. Those type of things that um, have been difficult or not able to do in the browser yeah. in the past, you can now take that investment that you've made over the years into your in your web app, move it in the store environment where you get all the benefits of an app without losing the investment that you put into it as a web app. Would that include things like Action Center and inking and some of those? It are does. those available today in, in that they case? Are. Yeah, in Windows 10. So you're... you're um, you know, your entire WinRT API set is there. And so that's gonna give you access to hardware like you're talking about. So you can get, you know, um, deeper level pen touch input type of um, data. You can connect to Bluetooth, but it also gives you access to things like calendar and mail and share and all of those contracts and APIs that are out there that lets you integrate more deeply with the system. Mm -hmm. And are, are you seeing that? Are, are, are people starting to catch on to that? I mean, is that is that a message that are, is early or are people starting to actually move over? So it's one of those things, whenever we talk to enterprises, they tend to be surprised about it, which means we're probably not doing a great job of getting the news out there. Yeah. 
But the good thing is, is they tend to be pleasantly surprised right. about it. Yeah, it's a good, it's good news. Yeah, because it's kind of like the, they they know they want to move forward and they know they want to be able to get into that application management space. Yeah. But they don't ever want to leave the investment they have in the web behind. So yeah. this is a way for that to happen for a lot of them. Well, and to be honest, some of them just made it onto Windows 7 and now are going to have to That's make right. it to Windows 10. That's right. The ones that are on 10 are thinking now, okay, we've got an anniversary update coming uh, that they're going to have to manage too. There is, there's been a lot of movement. I mean, 7, 8, 10 yeah. has, shaken, has shaken up the enterprise in a lot of ways. And a lot of enterprise managers are thinking, right. yikes, now I've got to migrate my app. So I'm assuming you're seeing some of that too. They may not know just because they're still thinking about how to, to migrate onto Windows 10 to right. begin with, right? Right. Yeah, and a lot of times that's part of the story. When we're talking about migrating to Windows 10, you know, things like the long-term servicing branch is really important to them because they don't want to get their enterprise into a scenario where they uh, have updates as often as consumers want them. Um, so those conversations come together. It's about how can we help bring them into the future faster without putting them in a situation that they're getting ahead of, you know, where they're yeah. comfortable. And the store management features coming too, right? Yes. That, that are, are getting stores, better. Yeah. But that, again, that requires a commitment to be on the latest update with the store. So they, we've, yeah. we've got a ways to go, right? Absolutely. Most enterprises. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, we're... We're, we're seeing a lot of excitement from consumers in about Windows 10. And, you know, uh, we know that things in the consumer space happens a lot faster than it does in the enterprise space. So the plans that we have for the consumer space are not necessarily what we're looking yeah. to do when we partner with enterprises. Yeah. Well, and I do like, I mean, I think there's an opportunity. You've got a lot of folks who made the migration this summer onto Windows 10 and immediately yes. had the anniversary update available for them right. basically the next week. Uh, my sister was in one of those, like, hey, is, the it last time? Yeah. Yeah. is it time <laughs> is it I'm ready getting yet? this yeah. note? And I'm like, okay, here's some, let's back up and some things. And yeah. then we moved her on to 10 and I said, okay, you're going to get a notification in a couple weeks and that's an update we're going to want to install as well and that's going to add. And so she went and actually probably the least painful way onto Windows 10, which was to nearly go right to the anniversary update, right? yeah. which brought back almost all the right features from Windows 7 and then added some new stuff, yeah. I think some really good stuff, uh, when we think about what came in the start menu as well as what's available with inking. What's I love inking on a yeah. Surface. The in Action fact, Center is so much better in the anniversary yeah. update, things like that. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's it's clearly, it's brought refinements that users, you know, it's going to make the transition a lot easier from them when they're coming from a different, different yeah. version. As you guys look ahead, Redstone 2, yes. and as we think about the store mm -hmm. and some of the management pieces, especially when it comes to the apps, anything there that's going to, that you guys have already talked about that's going to help make things better for the enterprise and consumer in the app space? So... Um, I can't talk too much about what's coming in RS2. I have to ask. You have to ask. <laughs> um, I know we're going to have more information about that as the year moves oh, good. on. Good. Um, we're. It's not that we're trying to hide it. It's just that we want to make sure that we're pretty confident about yeah. what we can deliver before we go out there and talk about it. Um, but the store is one of those spaces where uh, we're really looking for those ways that um, helps users find the apps. 
And a lot of times they're not going to go in there and click it. Um, so on the user end, you're starting to see things like Cortana being able to suggest apps to you uh, when you hit a particular website that has an app associated with it. She's going to know that and be able to recommend that you um, try out the app as well. And so that's really great for that business who's, um, you know, wants a, a simple way to help their users discover in the store, even if they're not clicking on the icon. On the enterprise end, um, we're doing a lot of work with the enterprise store to make sure that that's really easy for, um, you know, your uh, your system administrators yeah. to be able to control what yeah. goes on to the systems, how they're updated, which apps can be seen and can't be seen. Because yeah, they'll just lock it down. Right. Right. They'll just shut right. it off. If that, and be if like... they, the choice of it being on or off, the choice <laughs> is going to be off, right? Because there's that. So we want to make sure that they have ways to be able to elevate important apps from the store along with their, um, you know, their enterprise apps and um, just have the whole package for their users. Yeah. Because you're in that space, does Edge play in with the new Edge browser? Do you yeah. guys live in that same world? And and how do you how are you feeling about Edge? It gets this this is where moving on to the anniversary update is a big it improvement, is, isn't right? It? Because Edge gets some additional extension functionality, uh, kind yes. of which as a LastPass user, I'm very appreciative of. Uh, one of the reasons I rolled back to the Insider program for uh, or got on the Insider program because I wanted to get I wanted you to get those try try out yeah, the extensions. Oh, yeah, as soon as I knew the extensions were there, right. I signed up and got in. I was yeah. already in, but. I had rolled my PCs back for various reasons, but so talk in yeah. your world. It does does Edge? What's the effect that Edge has for you guys? So Edge is extremely important for us. I mean, it's it's our way of um, you know bringing the modern web into Windows and integrate it tightly. When I talked about the hosted web apps for the store, those run the Edge engine. So the the more of the modern features we bring into Edge, the more that those apps benefit as well. Now, Edge was a brand new browser that we built from the the, the bottom up. So, Literally, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah. So, you know, there was there was a lot of features like extensions that users really wanted off the the bat. So we were really excited with this anniversary update to be able to deliver extensions because it it was for a lot of users like yourself that was the missing link. The thing that kind of pushed them back to the other browsers was the fact that, you know, they didn't have LastPass, so they didn't have an ad locker or whatever it was that they really needed. And those were really the big two. Those are the right. big two. Those are the they? big two. They yeah. are. At the end of the yeah. day, they were. But you know what? We're we're finding there's also so many other cool extensions out there that um, just makes the Edge experience, you know, even even uh, more integrated in VOS and uh, you know more functional. Yeah. No, it's exciting to see that uh, when, or and, and I have lost touch with this, so you can okay. decline to, to answer, but are we ever going to see a day when Edge gets separated out from Windows 10 from an update standpoint so that we're not dependent upon Windows 10 being updated every time we want to get an update to Edge? So um, I can't really comment on that, but I can tell you that we hear that a lot from users. You know, we said that we don't have plans at this point to port it backwards to to platforms prior to Windows 10 like it's it, we don't have plans for it to run on Windows 8 and things of that Windows 7 and that type of thing um, and I, a lot of times when users are uh, 
asking for it to be separate from the OS. It's because they're looking for it on other platforms. Um, all I can tell you is continue to provide your feedback because we're really looking to prioritize the work we do based on what users tell us that yeah. they want. Do you get direct feedback from the Feedback Hub in Windows? I mean, is your team getting some of those? Because that's a that's an amazing you, you piece of software. You would be surprised how deeply that information gets into the Windows team and how easy it is for us to collect bugs and work items based off of what comes through the insider yeah. head. So, you know, there's there's always different, um, you know, feature requests that are coming up or bugs that are being prioritized because of the insiders hub yeah. and the insiders providing that feedback. Yeah. So um, that's actually, you know, one of the top takeaways yeah. for users. Uh, you know, insiders, please use that hub. You know, it's great that you're, you're um, you know, running those builds. Um, the more feedback that you give us through the hub, the easier it is for us to prioritize the, the work that you all want to see. Yeah, no, it's great. In fact, feedback has always been a mechanism of Microsoft products in a lot of ways. It was just yeah. impossible to find, and you never knew if it was ever going anywhere. Right. And I really feel like now the new feedback mechanism is one of, in fact, so good in a lot of ways, the way I see it. Uh, at Gallup, I have wished like that we could get feedback as a service yeah. from you guys, right? So we could kind of set up our own. That platform works so well. How could we pull that in, put our own stuff in there, and allow our customers yeah. to use that as an app or whatever, right? I mean, I think that would be hint, hint. I yeah. think that would be okay. awesome uh, because it's we've always dreamt of a of a of a Reddit, and that's not the right one, but of a dig. Yeah. Like, because that's really what, you know, right. kind of based yep. on vote up or Voting vote down yeah. and, and, you know, submit it and it can get ranked and you can find it and you can put it together yeah. and um, group things together. Uh, that feedback mechanism is awesome. And being able to Ooh. see if other users <laughs> have yeah, had right this on. problem is yeah. really actually, yeah. it's quite nice because you sometimes you wonder, is this just a fluke? You know, is yeah. this just something weird? But you go into the feedback hub and look and see, oh, hey, look, there's 10 other developers. Yeah, ten other people who have reported this today. No, you right know. on. You can and you can get that telemetry out of it, which is really cool. Yeah, um, that was available to us as MVPs for a lot of years before it became available to the public. Yeah, and and again, what was one of my favorite things. I so, anyways, I'd love to see that become as a service <laughs> in some way and be able to use it again. We had talked uh, before we started talking. You're a you were a you were also a home server guy back in the day. My yes. roots come from yeah. Windows Home Server. And because I'll push this downstream to my tech audience uh, as well that, that listens, you were struggling with us back in the day with a bunch of crazy equipment, right? Yeah. When you were working on uh, Home <laughs> Server, making it better, I was out there trying to, to break it. <laughs> yeah. that, that was actually one of the things that got me to love Windows. And this was before I ever worked for Microsoft, I ever had thought of it. But being able to you know, put together some hardware and then, you know, load on home server and set up a network inside your house and set up. Well, I mentioned, you know, the first time I was able to set up logins for the the, the different computers was because I was able to have home server on my right. network. But then suddenly I have identities and logins and it was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. You know? well, it's funny you come at it from an identity standpoint. And you spend some time doing that in your current <laughs> job. We all came at it also from a 
RAID, an yeah. easy RAID standpoint. Yeah. In other words, I could have a bunch of discs, didn't matter what they were, because RAID right. was really hard. Yeah. Oh, you know, 0506, nobody but the enterprise was using RAID, yeah. right? The average end user wasn't. We could get a bunch of hard drives, put them together, let the drive pool form, yeah. right? And, and it would dedupe. Man, we thought that was the coolest thing since sliced bread. It was bread. the coolest thing. Yeah, it was. It was pretty it was good, pretty and it cool, worked. Right? It worked really yeah. well for a while. Kind of went off the rails. Kind of came back on, and I know with storage spaces and some of those things sure. that they're working on, we're seeing some of. The, uh, although hard drives got so ahead of us that today, you know, for most users, uh, just go buy a four terabyte hard drive, right. and you're going to be fine. I, that's what I hear from the average user today. Although uh, the community I hang out in, the one that's listening to this, it, it's not uh, unusual to have 16 or 20 terabytes and maybe even more in their in using uh, in their home server okay. or that's... in their, um, I mean, a lot of folks have moved to Unraid or they've moved into yeah. a Drobo or a Synology or a QNAP. Um, they've moved away from the home server just because yeah. it's right and it's not supported anymore. And the ability to go on to Windows Server and use the Essentials experience, which is too costly. Yeah. MVPs available in our, yeah, you know, but for the average user, that'd be a five hundred dollar jump to go on server, and no yeah. one was going to do that. So especially when it's just a hobby, right? Right. <laughs> so which is what home server was right. was, was often. Uh, well, what's ironic is on the home server side, we still do, we still have the home server show. It's still out there. We don't podcast as often as we'd like, but, um, and it still gets great numbers. There is still, even after Microsoft killed the home server, so to speak, we still see a tremendous draw to this idea of the home server. Now we end up talking about OneDrive or Crash Plan or Synology's QNAPs, yeah, Drobo's right. right. We've moved to that. And then because of Microsoft's move out of the, the drive pool concept, there were um, stable bit drive pool that came out of that and a couple other technologies that replaced the drive pool technology. I, I run stable bit. Um, it's great, runs great, pulls those things up. And I know Windows continues, on Windows 10, they continue to improve that drive pool experience or, or storage spaces, right? Mm -hmm. Is what we call it um, in Windows 10. So there is still, I think there's still enthusiasts out there. Good. Thinking good. about thinking about the old Windows home server, but, and you're still, what are you, what are you running from a phone perspective? So this is a um, 950, Lumi 950 XL. Um, still committed to it. A lot of softies have moved on to the iPhone or Android. I'm, I'm sure. I <laughs> love it. And um, obviously, I work for Microsoft, yeah. so you know I'm in this world. Um, but for me, when I see Continuum, so let me tell you one of the scenarios that yeah. really yeah. makes me love it. And I show this to my wife, and she she doesn't get ex as excited about <laughs> it. So I don't know if this is for regular people or not, but. For me, I have all of my work, network, and everything on my phone, and it just works. I can access any of the files inside the Microsoft system, and my email works there. I also carry a Surface tablet around that's my personal one, and it's not at all connected to the Microsoft world. Uh, every once in a while, you get like an email from the boss or something, and you know you need to sit down wherever you are and write it, having to do it on a phone and granted it's a big screen but it's not it's not mm -hmm. great so big that it's great for typing mm -hmm. but then to be able to actually use continuum and have my surface as the receiver mm -hmm. and use continuum to the new connect 
app that came with uh, Windows 10, 10 anniversary update, I can now actually run the full mail program here on my laptop, connected through the VPN on my phone, and you know, write an email with the physical keyboard and get work done yeah. through my phone. Yeah. So those type of scenarios are just, it's just amazing to me. It's that, that's the reason why, you know, I just love having that as my phone yeah. because it's, it's not just my phone. It's like my second computer. Continuum is one of those great products that I, it, it I'm it's just going to struggle to see the light of day with all the other things that are going on. And because Windows Phone is not dominant in the market. Yeah. I'm just not sure it's ever going to get it's ever going to get there. So, did you see the new HP? I've se I've seen the product. Yeah. Yes, okay. I haven't Elite, touched it, yeah. but yeah. Um. Yeah. So that I mean, it's just recently. I mean, come out a I few know. days it's ago. New car but, smell. Right, and that's know? actually yeah. one of those things that's geared towards enterprise. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, because those are the type of folks who are going to be in scenarios like me. Yeah. Who. Um, I've got a work device and, you know, my work device, sometimes I need to actually get work done on right, it. Right. And so then Continuum just becomes, you know, this amazing experience. So yeah. we'll see. I, I agree. It's yeah. really early to tell that. And uh, we've got plans for this that are going to make it even better than it is today. Um, but, you know, we'll have to see. That's, yeah. but that's one of the features that keeps me excited about it, it could phone. be interesting i mean it could be very very interesting and there's a lot of in the lull here as the phone has lost a little bit of market share as windows 10 has come out there's been a lot of pieces that have come together yeah um and a lull in the market i think has allowed you guys to make some bold moves in those areas that uh, if you'd been a leader that may not have been made and so I, I think, you know, you never know, time will tell, will that pay off from a market share yeah. standpoint going forward? I think there's some great technologies there. I, I lived and you lived through 2001, 2002, and 2003 when tablets, when Microsoft tablets were everywhere, yeah. but the nobody was ready for right. them. Yeah. And, and they were a little clunky and large and hard to work with, yeah. but... I remember being in a in a meeting with somebody from Microsoft. I think it, maybe it was 05. And she pulls out, flips it over and starts writing. You know, they yeah. were there, right? Was, but not until we get to the surface did that really get to a point where it really right. caught on. And the pen and the integration and an OS that would support it pretty yeah. well. Right. So uh, I'm a band. I have a band too. And I love that thing. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, I, it's, a, it's an everyday it's an app for me. It's an everyday yep. wear. Although I say that, and I have my Garmin mm -hmm. 220 running watch on today. It was one of those things that this morning I thought, well, I'm going to be sitting down all day. I'm not going to be tracking steps. And it notifies me of everything, yeah. and it would be buzzing all day. So I, I made a conscious decision. Well, I'm going to throw the the not-so-smart watch yeah. on this morning. But um, I love what the band does, and I bike with it all yeah. the time. A new update that came in the latest update with it works great with, with the iPhone mm -hmm. yep. uh, pairs well. And, and so good story. Yep. It's just another example of where we're making hardware that works with devices, yeah. you know, no matter what they are. I use my band to, um, I actually run, you might not tell by looking <laughs> same, at me, same. <laughs> but, um, I do half marathons. Mm. And so, uh, being able to kind of use it to track my progress mm -hmm. and my speed and my altitude and stuff yeah. like that. Having the GPS built in um, is, you know, a really cool device yeah. for me. And yeah. I, I wear it all the time because now it's also my 
my music controls, right? Yeah. Double click on it, turn your, yep, turn your, music, your music up and down, those type of things. So, yeah, no, it's been a great device, and I'm only afraid I'm going to wear it out before the new one. Mine's looking. I mean, I I use it, yeah, and it gets sweaty and it gets beat on. Yeah, and I ride. Um, I've been riding, I, I ran for a lot of years and it just beat me up. And so I've been starting riding. Yeah. You know, you get, you, you ride up front and that thing gets beat around pretty yeah. good. Um, so we'll see how durable it is. It's coming up on the one year. I keep thinking if it's going to break, <laughs> I'd love uh, the anniversary of um, Summit would be, I bought it at Summit yeah. when it came out. It came out the same, same time as MVP Summit last year. So pretty exciting. Well, Jeff, thank you for taking a few minutes. I know Thank we went way over on time. Me. It's not often I get to <laughs> chat with you guys. And so anytime we get the opportunity to do that, I appreciate it. Glad to be uh, here. But thanks for coming to the conference. Appreciate it as well. We are back Heartland developer conference 2016 here in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, we've been doing interviews with session keynotes and session leaders uh, today. Today I have John Mills with me from page technology oh. and John, good to have you back. Well, there you go. we'll give this a second round here. Uh, it's, it's, we were just joking. Forgot to turn the mute off the first time, and so we're hey, better better the yep, second yep. the second time around. Uh, John, let's get to know you a little okay. bit. Where you're from, what you do, your job, that kind of stuff. So I am from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, I always have to add the Missouri because um, I'm not from <laughs> Is there the a Kansas big battle side? between Kansas um, and Missouri. For <laughs> not really. Uh, it's no. more the external view. Yeah. Uh, but so I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and I do mostly JavaScript consulting. Yeah. So trying to help uh, companies kind of cope with this rise of JavaScript and what they're supposed to be doing with it now in the modern era. And uh, I'm also a Pluralsight author. Uh, I've got five or six courses out there on Node.js and JavaScript. And I'm a conference speaker, so I get to travel all over the world and speak at conferences. And How many fun. do you do uh, a year, do you Conferences, think now? Um, yeah. okay, so a, in a year <laughs> is hard. Between now and the end of October, I've got four. Okay. So it's not terrible. Yeah. It, um, it's, you know, I average about one to two a month. Fits in nicely with your plural, your plural yep. site work. Yep. And so you're kind of in that training and education space. Right. Anyway, so no, it totally works pretty makes well. sense. Um, JavaScript is the area yeah. you're talking about. And, and um, that seems to be a pretty exploding area these days. I, right. I hear it all the time. A couple of years ago, it was not even in the conversation right. or a little bit. Now we're hiring just JavaScript people. Oh, talk, right. Absolutely. Talk about, what are you seeing? So JavaScript is kind of taken over the world. And it just is. It used to be that we did jQuery. And that's all we did. Now we do JavaScript. And with the rise of the frameworks, I mean, it started with the knockouts and the backbones. And now we're into you know, Angular and React and these big, robust frameworks that are making .NET and Java developers take their business code out of the back end and start to apply it into the front end. And so they're struggling with how do I write business logic in JavaScript instead of .NET? And, uh, but it's not just that, it's not just the browser. It's you've got things like React Native and Ionic and things like that for the mobile device. And you even have Electron uh, to, to make desktop applications. And you would think just some, you know, some random ones like Slack and, and things like that. But Microsoft used Electron and Node.js when they built Visual Studio Code. So even Microsoft is saying, yeah, JavaScript is, if you want to do cross-platform stuff, JavaScript's the way to do yeah. it. Yeah. Does that mean, is that spelling doom for Java and C Sharp? Or I don't think so. What's the world so. look like today? Um, I think that those languages really do a very good job at what they do. I mean, and if you want to 
have a, a strong, robust back end um, that is it's pretty enterprise level. .NET and Java are not going to go away. Nobody's going to go rewrite their entire back end in Node. Node can handle it. I mean, Walmart's backbone is built in Node, really? right? So it can handle the traffic, but there's no reason to go rewrite all that stuff. Yeah. And so that will all still be there, and it'll move forward, and it's fine. But more and more, people want the the cool single-page app feel, and you've got to do JavaScript for that. Yeah, we're in recruiting for what yep. I do for Gallup. We're hearing from the, the business like more that we want them to at least have some JavaScript yep. in their background. Yep. Do you see, are, are we at a point where you have just JavaScript developers? Are they a hybrid version <sighs> of of Java and JavaScript or C Sharp and JavaScript? Well, or? And I think that kind of falls all over the place, right? I, the vast majority of developers who do JavaScript will not classify themselves as a JavaScript developer. So uh, when I'm in a talk, I always ask who classifies yourself as a JavaScript developer. And I'm probably one of three in the room always. Uh, I do Node on the back end. I do usually Angular on the front end. Uh, but most developers classify themselves as .NET or Java, and then they also do JavaScript. Uh, and what that means is at very different levels. But I think that the days of just pure, true JavaScript developers, those are growing, but I don't think they're ever going to overtake and be, hey, everybody's just a JavaScript developer. Yeah, but it is becoming a huge need. Absolutely. Right, I mean, from that standpoint, when you, if I'm a C-sharp or I'm a Java developer today, yep. And I'm thinking like, all right, how do I, 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 I need to start thinking about this. Yep. What's the right, kind of what's the right path or what are some recommended paths? And I know you're going to talk about this a yep. little bit in your session, but no, what are some recommended paths? And, and so that's, I, first and foremost is take it seriously. And I talk about this a little bit in my session. It's uh, a lot of times we go to Stack Overflow when we find something that works and we drop it in and then we go back to the code that matters, which is our .NET code, right? And, and so what a lot of people need to do is they need to really treat learning JavaScript like they're learning a new language. It's not an extension of .NET or Java. It's let's go learn something new. And so there's, there's Pluralsight courses, there's code schools, there's um, Code Academy has a fantastic JavaScript thing. Mm. There's also a couple of really good books. Eloquent JavaScript is a good book. Uh, Kyle Simpson's got a whole series. You don't know JavaScript. That's really good books. I would highly recommend going out and and actively seeking to learn JavaScript as if it's a new thing, and and treat it that way. Uh, and just you know, pick up a book. Or if you're already a developer, you don't need to learn how to develop. You just need to learn the intricacies of the language. So. It is a situation. It depends on you, yep. but you could do it on your own. You could. There's JavaScript classes. I'm yep. sure that you could jump into. Do you think the average developer could just kind of jump in and start I start so. doing it? And, Absolutely. I mean, if start. you're already a developer, you can pick it up, right? Yeah. It's it's just a matter of intentionally trying to pick it up instead yeah. of just trying to get by. Sure. So what else from your session? Uh, mm -hmm. You're certainly trying to get a few things across. <laughs> Some of those we just talked about, yep. but what else are you hoping to? Okay, so so my session is Habits of Highly Effective JavaScript Developers. And and basically the, the crux of my talk is you are not a JavaScript developer. I mean, right, we just talked about this. Most people are .NET or Java developers, and then they also do JavaScript. And so what I try and point out is here is some things that you should be doing as a JavaScript developer. And I talk about things like linting your code, 
and understanding that you know the IDE might need to be different for your JavaScript stuff. There's better IDEs out there for JavaScript than Visual Studio. Uh, I also talk about just understand what your code is doing. Uh, a lot of times we go to Stack Overflow and find something that works, um, but instead take five minutes and try and understand why that works, mm -hmm. right? And just try and build a little bit more of a depth. And, and then I talk about some other intricacies of the language and packages to use and things like that. But, but ultimately it's, hey, let's start to take JavaScript seriously. I, a lot of people refuse to refer to JavaScript as a modern language. They refer to like .NET and Java as modern languages, which is kind of weird considering JavaScript came later. Um, so it's more modern technically, uh, but it's just different. And Why do you think that is? What's Because it doesn't have types. Or? Okay. Uh, right? I mean, it doesn't have types and it. it's loosely objects, right? I mean, it's just, it's different and it doesn't feel enterprisey. But the reality is if you embrace that, like I embrace the fact that it doesn't have types and I embrace the fact that my objects are not set in stone. They can be changed as needed. And it actually makes your JavaScript development a lot cleaner and easier if I can just roll with that instead of trying to fight against it. And that's kind of what the TypeScript movement is a little bit, is trying to institute these .NET principles on top of JavaScript without everybody remembering underneath it, it doesn't work the way you think it's working. It just, it just kind of masks sure. some of it. And so instead of masking it, just embrace it and understand how it works and just go with it. Are there are there some great examples of uh, of uh, large organizations, large enterprise organizations, moving in, in, with more of a JavaScript than less, maybe on the traditional languages of, of C sharp I, or Java? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them, and just more and more. Uh, Walmart was a great example um, of embracing Node, huge, and they actually so they wrote their own Node framework. Happy um, is their Node. A lot of people use Express. They use happy, um, but I mean, Microsoft embraced JavaScript when they went Visual Studio Code, right? They said outright, if I want to do cross-platform stuff, JavaScript's the way to do it. And I mean, there's more and more people that are, are starting to think cross-platform stuff is required, right? You can't just target Windows anymore. You have to be cross-platform, and the best way to be cross-platform is doing JavaScript. Yeah. What's the future look like when we think about when we look ahead, I know in any kind of these environments right. where especially it's very open, mm -hmm. lots of people expressing their own opinion of what things yep. should and shouldn't be. You know, you get your own framework from Walmart because right. they want their own flavor of that. Uh, a continuation of more flavors or will this get will this get more centralized and maybe a little bit more control? So I think we've already kind of seen it collapsing down a little bit um, because now it's it's basically React and Angular. And those aren't the only two. I mean, you talked about Meteor yeah, earlier. Yeah. There's Vue. There's all these other options. But you know, most people are doing one of those two things. I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens with Angular 2 with their focus on TypeScript. I do Angular 2, but I don't use TypeScript. I do it all in JavaScript. Um, but I think that there's also going to be a move away from some of the monolithic frameworks. And more and more people are just going to go back to doing pure JavaScript, uh, because you don't need the big monolithic single page app all the time. Right? Sometimes you just need a little bit of JavaScript here and there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually starting to see people moving away from the big frameworks and doing like ampersand is kind of like the unframework where it has just little bits and pieces. And that's 
that's where I think a lot of people are going to go is just kind of simplify the big monolithic thing and just start to use JavaScript in a way that makes a little bit more simple sense mm -hmm. and instead of the big monolithic. Yeah. Thing. Is there a movement towards more simple in Kobe? And, and I imagine this is a cycle that happens. It is. We get complicated. We yep. It gets too complicated. We make it simple. It's too simple, right? So I think the, the whole left pad debacle um, so, so what happened with LeftPad is there's a there's a there's a package out there that that basically just padded a string, and it was a package, and some some things happened, and he ended up dropping support for that, and pulled it out of npm, and everything broke. Like Babel used LeftPad, <laughs> so everything broke, and and I think that opened a lot of people's eyes, and they realized that the dependence on on just random little packages here and there actually causes more harm yeah. than good. And so you're starting to see kind of the reaction to that where people are pulling back a little bit from it. And you're right, it's completely cyclical. Yeah. Right. For a while, it'll, everybody will pull back and then everybody will forget about it and then they'll go whole hog again. And yeah, uh, it's just, it's kind of the battle of open right. source versus closed. And <coughs> we went open for a while and then things right. break and then you go closed and things break. Well, and in different regions, will be at different points in that cycle, right? And so it's not like everybody will all be, you know, no frameworks versus all frameworks. You know, some people will be kind of on the tail end and some people will be on the front end and it'll just kind of keep going. Yeah, yeah. Talk to, uh, you mentioned Meteor, uh, yep. our high school uh, um, interns. Yep. We, we landed on Meteor just because it was a very easy, I mean, it it's is. Full just stack, drop, it just yeah. works, yep. Uh, we developed some things on it. We've also been toying around with Python a little bit. Yep. And that seems like it's another, that's another script that comes and goes in its popularity. It does. Does this fit in, does Python today fit into the JavaScript model? Are, are they, are a lot of people using both? Um, yes and no. I mean, Python's kind of its own thing. And yeah. I think that Python is very much becoming, uh, much more front and center. And, and part of the reason for that comes back to the simplicity thing, right? Where .NET and, and Java, the barrier to entry for those is very high. And what happens is um, sometimes we just want to get stuff done, right? I don't want to mess with the big monolithic frameworks. I just want to get my, my stuff done. And so Python is a great way to just get in and get things done and move on with your life. Uh, and so that's where some of these these micro frameworks or these little scripting languages and Python's not really a little scripting language. It's really powerful, yeah. but it's the, it's so easy to just get in and get stuff done with it. I think it's going to kind of take over. Yeah. Now we have found it as a low barrier to entry, yep. especially in those roles. And we're finding more and more high schoolers uh, are learning it right. and learning it on their own. Right. Right. They've brought it home or they have a science teacher, that's, who's turned them yeah. on to it. And that's the thing where when I was trying to get into programming, I didn't have the resources that we have today, right? Where we've got, you know, just YouTube videos. Go out and Google you know, Python tutorials and you'll get all kinds of stuff. We've got um, Pluralsight is a fantastic resource. Um, actually, our library, so you might just check your library. My library system in Kansas City, I have free access to Safari Books Online. Any technology book I want to get access to, I just use my library card yeah. and I have it, right? It's just amazing to me the resources that are available. Um, open Courseware is another one where my son was taking Python. Speaking of Python, he was taking a Python class that was taught by the dean of the computer science department of MIT. Mm. 
online. Just watch the videos, do the homework. Yeah. It's like I never had that stuff. It's it's a huge opportunity. Yeah. Do you see that threatening? You're a you're a plural site instructor. Does all this open learning threaten plural? No, nope. and, and I don't think so at all. Not? I think it's why awesome okay. um, because it it gets people in line. And so to me, the value of plural site a lot of it comes from. I've always had a company pay for my my membership for plural site back before I was a an author. And so what happens is. Um, there's all kinds of free resources out there and there are varying degrees of quality. And so you can kind of poke around and find the stuff you need. But if you want quality, if you want, uh, you know, peer reviewed, curated content, Pluralsight's the way to go. And you see a lot of people end up over there, especially at the enterprise level when they're trying to really, really learn yeah, something. Really dig in. We, yep. we, um, we, that's kind of what we yep. use. We bring our interns in and we kind of, uh, regulate some of the things that they right. can like we want you to do this 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 and this and we know although i think you mentioned microsoft has virtual academy and yep. some of those pieces and so they're doing a great job too oh, uh, all of a sudden microsoft has become this weird open they're collaborative job. i mean i'm so i am out of the net realm and i have been for a little while but Microsoft has done a fantastic job of embracing some new things. And they're on the Node Foundation. They're doing a lot of stuff with Node. Visual Studio, um, not Visual Studio, but .NET Core has a lot of Node in the underpinnings of it. And I think that's awesome. And they're so they're doing a very good job of, of thinking outside the box a little yeah. bit. No, it's yep. a different with Sachin Adela in charge. It's just a, com yep. a completely different company yep. and interesting uh to kind of follow them in this uh, uh, rejuvenation, uh, kind of a renaissance that's going on in the organization. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Page Technologies, talk a little bit about what do you guys do? What's the value you bring to the, uh, okay. you know, how do you guys make your? So, okay, so Page Technologies traditionally was an, an IT staffing firm, right? So they delivered, you know, developers or IT staff for six to 12 month uh, contracts and just, you know, went and got stuff done. What we discovered, and this is why they brought me in, is a lot of times I don't need a, a contractor for 12 months or six months. I need somebody to come in for, for three months or for a week to tell me what to do, mm -hmm. right? Because that's the thing. I've got to pick a framework, right? I don't need a six, I don't need somebody for six months to help me figure out whether I do React or Angular. But what Page now can do with with me and a few other consultants that they have is we do we do a lot of micro contracts, uh, you know, eight or not eight hours. Although I've done a couple of those, uh, you know, forty to eighty hours, or you know, even up to a couple of months doing proof of concept type work. And then once we've figured all that stuff out, now they can go hire their their yeah. contractors. Yeah. We also do long term projects. I mean, if you just want to bundle up a project and hand it off, we'll run those as well. But that's kind of our sweet spot right now is let us come in and tell you what to do. And then you can bring in other people that you can tell what to do. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the breakdown. Yeah. Good. Anything else you'd add uh, from your session that we may not have covered? I don't think so. I mean, really more than anything, it's just, it comes down to you're, you're going to have to learn something new, right? I mean, nowadays you can't just get by yeah. with what you got. And if you're learning something new, JavaScript's the way to go. And if you're going to learn JavaScript, you're going to have to learn JavaScript, yeah. right? I mean, it's different enough that you need to dig in yeah. and, and bite the bullet on it. Well, I, I agree with you. And I think um, it's easier to get these kids learning this earlier. Yep. And uh, it's a great kind of gateway in, I think. I think you're going to find people learning JavaScript first. 
yep. and then maybe moving on to a C sharp or yep. to a job no, after that's that in the right. enterprise. It's not going anywhere in the enterprise, right? It's we not. are. It's it's embedded pretty deep, and I, I think it's going to be around for a while. Yep. But certainly from that standpoint, oh, one more question for you yep. too. We talked about big enterprises using JavaScript. Okay. This got to have huge advantages in the startup oh, world. Huge. I mean, talk a little bit about that. What are you seeing? And just the so it's it's time to market, right? And so, like I said before, it's it's so much easier to get something done. It's not. I don't have this big monolithic thing. I can just you know get something done fairly quickly. And so Node with Angular in front of kind of that mean stack thing, yeah. one, it's free, which is huge. I don't have to buy SQL Server licenses. I don't have to buy you know Visual Studio. Uh, and there's ways to not have to buy that already, I know. Right, but, right, right. but the perception is I can just download all this stuff and I can be writing code in five minutes and I, I can get things out the door a lot faster. And that's my contention. And a lot of people argue with me and that's yeah. fine. But my contention is on the mean stack, I can get things out the door a lot faster. What's the back end of that though? What's the backside? Everybody, you know, so you can deploy quickly, you can write. There's gotta be a reason we've had these heavy frameworks to begin with. What's the what's the drawback <laughs> today? If I'm a company starting to do this, what do I have to watch for on the backside? So you're asking that to like the Node.js guys. So <laughs> oh, sure. um, you can be honest. No, no, and that's the thing, right? So in a lot of cases, what people struggle with is that, yeah, it's it's a little less well-known and it's a little more nuanced and it can be a little more painful. And so when you get into problems, you get into okay. problems. I mean, the, but here's the other thing, and this is really, I think, the main thing. If you're in an enterprise, it's all about what, needing to make a phone call, right? When I was in the enterprise, we were .NET people. I deployed code and something was broken I could call support at Microsoft and have like Microsoft people helping me. I don't have that with Node, right? I mean, I don't have a phone number that I can call and say, hey, I don't understand why my processes are spinning up, right? Right, right. And that's that's a legitimately big deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always been the problem in the open source community. Right. So there always haven't been people there to Where's support, my support? it. Right. And, uh, and then it always seems, and maybe you can, it always seems like then there's an uh, industry that develops around that. Yep. Do you think that'll happen? Um, is it already well, I mean, happening? It already. I mean, yeah. MongoDB offers support, and right. you know, and and there's others, but and that will happen um, over time. But I think, especially with Node, with the way Node Foundation works, I don't know how. I don't know how that happens easily. But you're never going to get away from the fact that there's a company, right? right. Microsoft is an organization that right. is there that you can pick up the phone and call. Right. Good. Yep. Good, John. Thanks for taking a few oh, minutes today. Great catching up with you yep. and great discussion. I think a very, uh, I mean, uh, we've talked about JavaScript for the last year or two, but I think it's it's come. It's, it's there, here. Yeah. And uh, like Node has certainly been talked about for a, right. for a while, but it's always on the fringe. And I think it has joined, it's, it's joined in the big circle. It's very right? much And everybody's there, yeah. talking about it. So, John, thank you. Cool. Appreciate it.